0: Hi, this is Dion Begg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy.
1: Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 118. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay.
0: Welcome, everybody, again to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Sandy, how's it going?
1: Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Excited to record another show and uh, have some fun.
0: Me too. Very excited. So, Everyone should go over to our website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca. There you can download every show that we have done in the past six years and listen to it again if you want to, um, as well as download our free gift. Right, Sandy?
1: The ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Uh, You also jump on our email list when we do that. So you get to hear about all the events you're doing, things like that, get updates on shows as they get released and everything that's going on in Rob and my real estate world there. So jump on over and get that report and get on our email list. Keep updated.
0: Very, very good. And go over to iTunes as well and give us a rating or review for the show. We'd really, really appreciate that. It's been a while since anyone's gone on there and told us what they think. So whether it's good or bad, get over there, click the little button and leave us some feedback, please. We'd appreciate that.
1: Definitely. Uh, and then go check out our Facebook uh, channels because we're rolling videos out now and we haven't been doing that for long, a couple months. Uh, but if you're listening to this on audio, definitely go jump on over to our Facebook page, Breakthrough Real Estate Investing. You can get engaged into the conversations as we're doing them live, like today, and yeah. ask some questions, um, engage with some of our guests. And uh, we've got some great guests like we do today.
0: Yeah, we have a great guest today, Jared Hope, who's standing by here with Tilt Group. And uh, and so I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions that people want to ask. So now you can go on the live comments section And uh, just click there and ask away. We'll get to them.
1: Absolutely. So we are going to welcome Jared here in a sec. Anything else you want to cover, Rob, before we get into that?
0: Not really. I think we're good. I mean, um, I may be over speaking. I'm not exactly sure if we're going to be getting back into the live um, tours pretty soon. I'm going to maybe try um, a one-off and see how it goes as long as we can get permission to go start going through some properties together with us a, a very very small group it's going to be you know sort of an elite thing i guess we'll look at it that way um but hopefully we'll be gradually working back into the way that things used to be and get some of these tours going again
1: Cool. you've been doing them virtual right
0: i've uh, done a couple virtual
1: but uh
0: but yeah. but for the most part it's just been some one on one stuff we've went back to the one on ones and that's going well too so but, you know, people do like the community. You you go out, you see what everyone else is doing. Usually we would stop by a rental project uh, that somebody has on the go and, and see what, what they're doing. So that's very helpful for new people just wanting to get out and see what's going on, right? So um, uh, that's one of the main tools I think that we've been missing, and hopefully we'll get back to that soon.
1: Cool, cool. Well, uh, I think we should welcome in uh, Jared here. I'm going to do a quick intro, and then we'll uh – Ask him some questions. We're we're looking forward to this one. Got some uh, fun stories lined up. I know he's going to share. And uh, yeah, he's always uh, exciting to listen to. So uh, with over 150 properties in his portfolio and having 400 plus transactions under his belt, Jared Hope is the owner of Edmonton's most comprehensive real estate investment and property management company. Uh, He's half of the real estate investing power couple, Jared and his wife, Krista Hope. Uh, Together, they've developed a no bullshit real estate coaching program that makes it easy for the average Canadian to own income properties. And Jared's expertise is born in experience and focus, um, and focuses on action-oriented practical advice. He believes in cutting through the BS, evolving the way real estate investing education is provided, and, and supporting people in avoiding all the mistakes he learned the hard way over the past 16 years in his investing uh, career. So welcome to the show, Jared. Hopefully that uh, gives a bit of an intro. I know you've got lots more to share and lots of exciting stuff uh, they've been through. So welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Thank here. you. It's like I wrote that
2: bio myself.
1: <laughs> I know I, you I like. Did, it. I didn't like did like write. I passed,
2: I, I, I passed it off to one of my staff to write, and uh, but yeah, I, you're about to say I like to drop the a couple f bombs. I totally dropped the f bombs. <laughs> exactly. Is there hang yeah, on? Is there rules for the show? Is like am I not allowed to swear? Is it is it fair game? Not
0: really. <laughs> I mean, you can you can do it if you want to. That's fine. I mean, there's yeah. not really any rules.
1: There's probably a limit. Yeah, okay. We do have. We are. Uh, uh, we're not on like the what's it called the explicit list or whatever on iTunes. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. probably is a limit, but um, you know, we want to make it exciting. <laughs> get away so with one or two, I think. Yeah. We'll get away. With yeah. I well, I might. I might slip one in every once in a while, but. <laughs> All
2: and today
0: we're gonna be getting real, and we're gonna be talking about some horror stories. So I'm really looking forward to this. I think you've got a lesson, a lot of lessons to uh, mm-hmm. share with us through these stories. So I'm looking forward to it. So thanks for being here. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, um, thanks for
0: having me, guys. We're gonna start out the way we always do, and uh, just ask, uh, or maybe just tell us quickly how you got involved in real estate investing.
2: Uh, back in two thousand three, uh, my hey, my dog is growling behind me. We just got a new puppy, and he's like ten months old. So any little noise, he growls at. It's so funny. Um, so as a personal trainer. I played hockey. My wife uh, owned a massage studio. And in 2003, we just, you know, Krista was grew up on a farm and her parents were very entrepreneurial and uh, they just, you know, she didn't, she didn't really believe in working like for, for the man or having a job. And, and, you know, I played hockey my whole life in 2003, we went to a real estate workshop uh, in Edmonton. And uh, we ended up, she ended up signing us up for their membership. And I was so mad. I had no interest in doing real estate. We couldn't afford the $200 a month um, at that point in time because I was the membership. And it was actually $300 for the both of us. We just couldn't afford it. And I was so mad. I knew nothing about real estate. I I always, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, everyone read that book. And my dad was a phenomenal dad, but he had a poor dad mentality. Save your money, go to school, get good grades. Like He was that guy. We didn't grow up poor. We weren't poor. Um, But I was taught that you know get a get a house and go to school work for the same company for 25 30 years and that's your path and krista was taught something different so she signed us up for the real estate uh program and the first six months i was right pissed off i went you know i went to them because that's paying for these meetings and or we went to them and i would sit in the back of the room with my hat on and back like this and I just cross my arms and in the back of the room just judging all the speakers and judging all the people in the room and six months go by and I, I we bought our first property and that year we bought three properties and um which was cool like you know whatever made some mistakes and bought you know looking back now i wouldn't i would have done things a little bit differently but the second year i bought eight properties and in the third year we had a killer year we bought 64 properties and today we've transacted 480 over, over 482 now i just bought one last week and so we're 482 properties in um, transactions, 152 properties. And uh, so that's how we got started. And to be honest, I, I I had no interest in being in real estate, I had no interest in being a landlord back in 2003.
0: So, where was the turning point? I mean, you, you mentioned the first one that you bought, you must have started wearing your hat a little bit differently, like looking yeah. it up, every meeting a little bit more. And then, uh, no. yeah
2: no funny question you know i've been wearing a hat man forever and i back in 2017 we we hired a company out of vancouver to do a little bit of a rant a sidebar but we hired a company out of vancouver to do some branding and they're like jared you have to change your image like you have to do boss casual and you have to wear these sports coats and dress shirts and you know collared shirts and you gotta do your hair and you gotta shave and and I'm like, you know what? That's just not who I am. And I, so I wear a hat. You know, I, I'd wear a hat on stage. Like the last time I presented on stage, I wore a t shirt and jeans. And, you know, you either like me or you don't. And that's totally cool if you don't. However, I still have some really great lessons and tips to teach people just from the trials and tribulations that I've gone through in my life. So, you know, so what are the, what were the, what was the turning point? You know, to, to be honest, I don't, probably 2008 was the biggest turning point when I left my job. I was a personal trainer, I was doing 100000 dollars a year in income uh, from personal training back then, which was a lot of money. you know like I was, we had two young kids, we had our second kid at two in two thousand and seven uh, in two thousand and we were both making really good money and we left our jobs uh, for real estate. and that was probably the turning point because that actually set us on a on a downward spiral um, because the market shifted in two thousand eight. We had that financial crisis. And so, you know, a lot of people will sit there and say, well, what shifted? What allowed you to, you know, how'd you grow your portfolio so quick? Well, buying real estate is so easy, guys. Uh, in my opinion, it's super easy. It's maintaining it and sustaining it for longevity. That's the hard part. Well having a well-balanced and successful marriage or relationship with your family, wife, or kids, that's the challenge that most people, I think, struggle with. Buying real estate, anyone can go buy a house. Buying the right house that works, that's a totally different story. So I, I would say two thousand and eight when when I left my job, that was the turning point because I really had to you know i I didn't know if the properties I was buying were the right ones until two thousand and eight when I realized they weren't
0: so um, I guess just real quick because I want like because because I feel like it's important and and a lot of people have the same mentality as you like so what I was referencing was you said you went to the back of the these meetings, you pulled your hat down, you sort of sat at the back and didn't really want anything to do with it but eventually you guys went out and bought your first one so was there a was there a point where you were sitting in the back of there and you realized okay maybe these maybe maybe these guys aren't just sprouting uh, off baloney maybe they've got something real yeah. to share here
2: uh no yes and no so you know so i joined rain okay the real estate investment network great program uh, a lot of great theory being taught um you know, so I was sitting in the back of the room and I'm a very competitive guy. So, you know, like, let's be honest. Most people in the rooms, whether it's Rain, Keyspire, Reag, Rockstar, I, uh, I Win, Right Club, whatever the group is, it doesn't matter. They fill the room with three, four, 500 people. But the truth is maybe five, 10% of them are actually doing anything, anything of sub- substantial quantity, right? So there might be people with one, two or three, but there's very few who have, 10 15 20 30 40 or or more so i was sitting in this room and watching people get these stupid pins and a pin for three a pin for eight a pin for 17 a pin for 100 i'm sitting there i'm like loser 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 i can do this not not that they were losers but i'm like you know what i'm so so competitive i'm like i can go crush this I, i can be better than all these guys so i was playing the game to be seen as the best, because that was the environment that people put you in. That was this environment of of Rain or Rieg or Keyspire or whatever these groups are, that's what they do. And nothing, that's their business model. I totally get it. But back in 2003, I never got it. I thought by, by being the guy, I was the guy. And so, there, you know, so the turning point for me, I guess, was, was when I realized that if I got three properties, I got recognition. And if I got eight, I got more recognition. If I got 17, I became a player. And if I, when I got 100, I was the man. So that was my goal. I was out chasing pins. And it was it was detrimental to us in 2008. And most people, that's how people play the game. They, they play the game to get on a stage or get on a podcast or to talk the talk about something they don't actually understand because they haven't seen enough to go through it. And yeah, we'll go on more of a rant here in a second. <laughs>
1: That, um, you know, I I can only assume some of that came from your your very competitive athlete, obviously, and we can touch on that as much as you want. But obviously, you were uh, a relatively successful hockey player in growing up in Canada. That's kind of makes you the man. Right. So if you're in that, you know, mindset growing up, you obviously want to be. Does that help you with your competitive edge there in um, in real estate? I can only imagine it would have some absolutely
2: some like, and, and I'm not, like every company works, you know, because they all have their own concepts and the way of doing it. it. Me in that model was, I was super competitive. You know, so I remember seeing this guy, Ar- Arlen Dolan. Arlen at that time had a hundred and something properties and he would show up, and he had this messy hair. and he, Him and I are buddies now. He had this messy hair and like a hundred something properties and he'd go up with these grubby sneakers. And he'd he'd stand up to his, to this mic. They had open mic back in the day. And he'd stand up to the mic or success stories or something like that. And he'd say the success story about how, what he's doing, what he bought. And I'd be like, "Oh my god, what a fucking loser! I can way outperform him." And so that's how I that's how I ranked myself, you know. So because I wanted to have the mic, I wanted to be the guy. I wanted people following me. I wanted to be, you know, because that's I want. I just wanted to be the best. That's how, that's how I was wired. So when you put me into an environment like that, you know, I was chasing a pin. I was chasing, I was, I wanted to be on stage. I remember in 2000, in 2005, I ended up hiring uh, Don Campbell uh, as my mentor. And that year I bought 64 properties. And I remember telling Don in 2005 um, that I'm going to take his job and I'm going to own Rain this is 2005 like what do I know I was, I was man I was 26 27 years old and I'm sitting there telling John Don I'm going to take a spot on stage and fast forward to 2010 2011 I, you know I was I was on stage with him for 10 years 7 years 8 years and um, you know but that that's just how I was wired I was wired to to go for it all and to put in the time and work hard And, you know, I've always had coaches, I've always had skating coaches and nutritionists and trainers. I've always had that in my life. So when it came time to build real estate, this is another mistake I think people make when, when, you know, they try to build real estate on their own or they try to follow multiple people. And, you know, they go listen to someone talk on stage for 30 minutes and they think that's enough for them to go build a business. And that's some of the mistakes that we're going to talk about today. And so they'll hop on a plane and fly to Regina because someone from Regina was talking about how great Regina is. So they'll hop on a plane from Toronto or Edmonton and fly to Regina buy 10 properties. Well, that's not that's that's not necessarily how to play the game. So, you know, but one thing with me is I always had coaches. So when I enlisted Don, I was super coachable and, you know, it, it actually it sped up my process. It sped up my my journey in real estate.
0: And when you said in 2008 that it was, a, that was almost detrimental to you, do you mean that, do you mean that like your competitive nature had you working too much or like, was, was there a part of your relationship that was suffering or something? Because oh, of- dude,
2: it, everything suffered in 2008. So in 2008, the global recession hit, right? And at that point in time, I, got about nine, I had about maybe at 95, 98, something like that, 100 properties. I'm not talking doors. I'm talking properties. Everyone else talks doors. I talk properties and the titles, like it's so easy to get 15 doors. You guys, you can go get one building. That's 15 doors. That's one mortgage. That's one, that's one run at the, at the gauntlet with the banks to go get a, a hundred mortgages. That's, that's, that's hard. And that's JVs that's banks. That's, that's, you know, structure. That's, that's so much stuff that has to be imp- implemented. But in 2008, you know, I had a hundred, like you say 95 to a hundred properties. And, you know, when I left my job, I left my job in like June, 2008 and the financial recession started, you know, that global meltdown started in August, 2008. And, you know, I was making, you know, we were used to living off of say 150, $180,000 a year at that time. And so when I left, when we left our job, we started living off our real estate portfolio. Now we we're flushing our real estate portfolio, <coughs> excuse me. But at that time, as, as the market starts dropping, well, so do rents as, the, as the, we hit this global re- recession, the rents start dropping. So as rents start dropping, I start taking pay cuts, but I didn't take a pay cut. I just kept my income the same. So my income still 150, 180 grand. My rents are dropping my income in mean, my company's dropping, but I'm, so my burn rate is really, really high so looking back on it now is buying the wrong properties so in 2005 6 7 i was buying properties that were 50 to 100 dollars a month cash flow somewhere some were zero cash flow because at that point in time i was seeing 32 42 55 percent appreciation so i'm like oh we're good we're good I'm, I'm i'm still bank i got so much equity in these properties but when i left my job what people don't understand is you know, living off your portfolio solely—if it's not set up right, you're destined, you are dest—you—you like—I don't want to say you're destined to fail, but the fall could be really, really hard. Because if you're living off your portfolio, and there's a shift in the market, you're—you're you're directly impacted. At you have no other source of revenue. So that was—that was the lesson for us. Is in 2008, we realized that we bought a hundred—not a hundred, probably sixty of the wrong types of properties that they just didn't cash flow strong enough.
1: Where were those properties you were buying at that point Were they have you been uh, always in one or two areas or have you been kind of scattered yeah
2: no like I, I'm, I'm out west right so i live in Kelowna now but i invest in edmonton um at that point in time i probably had i probably had seven the 80 in maybe maybe a little bit more in grand prairie which is northern alberta which is an oil and gas town up there um which back at the time this is the other mistake that you know happens is uh these are all horror stories guys right so the other mistakes you know you know, at that point in time, rain was coming out with the top towns, top towns to invest, Edmonton, Grand Prairie, Calgary, Hamilton, Ottawa, all these top towns. Well, the problem with that, that's all theory. That's all That's all bullshit. Because in those towns are certain communities you want to stay away from. Like you just, you can't sit there and say, here's the top town to invest. Like what I'd rather hear is here's the best 10 communities in that town to be investing in. <coughs> so what people do is they run to Edmonton, they run to Ottawa, they went to Waterloo, they run to, you know, Kelowna, wherever, and they buy in that city, but they don't understand the actual city itself and the demographics and the geographics of the town. So, you know, at that point in time, you know, I had a bunch in Edmonton and a bunch in Kelowna or Kelowna, Grand Prairie. And I so, saw so in 2008, I ended up firing my property management company because they were doing a terrible job. And... You know, so we just not shouldn't say that they just weren't doing a good enough job for, that I wanted. Plus, I had to I had to save some income somehow. Like I was paying them forty, fifty thousand dollars a month, maybe more, in management fees. So in two thousand eight, as my income starts dropping, I had to make money. So I let my management company go, and we started self managing our portfolio.
0: That 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 sounds like a horror story right there. To me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know. You know what. Yeah. Yeah, like man, guys, I, I, man, I have so many stories just from the property management side—from shootings to strippers to uh, drugs to guys hiding pot plants on me to like kicking people out, seizing cars and trucks. Like, I have so many stories.
1: But so I think I we got to get into some of those because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. because I think I, what I'd like to hear is where you're at a bit today, and then yeah. and then let's let's get into some of those. Those are exciting oh, topics. yeah, <laughs> yeah no, some I funny got... stories.
2: And they're all funny. You know, I look back, I don't, I don't, you know, Chris, my wife and I went out for dinner the other night and she's like, you know, what would you do differently about our, about our lives? And I said, nothing. You know, like we, we had some hard times in 2008 to 2010. That was a hard time to, uh, that financially, business wise. We reset, we restructured. Um, you know, we didn't really do, I wasn't really doing any personal development that at that time I was just ego, ego, ego driving me, ego driving me, ego driving me. has started doing personal development work around well she's always done it but really in 2000 maybe in 2010 uh, she's really kicked it in 2015 our relationship hit a really rock bottom I was drinking like man we should have been divorced come 2015 and it was just a hard time and you know in 2015 we got married in 2003 by 2015 12 years later. We just shifted. You know, we had kids. We had a success, successful business that we've turned around twice, two or three times. And we just drifted apart because, you know, I had someone ask me the other day, why you, would why'd you marry Krista? My, that's my wife. And I said, well, it doesn't really matter why I married her. The question is, why are we still together? That's the question that we have to be asking is why, why do I continue to choose Krista? Why does she continue to choose me every single day? Because we have options. She has an option to leave. I have an option to leave. Why we got married 13 years ago doesn't matter because we're different people. And we didn't realize that until 2015 when we just drifted apart so much. And because I got I was so focused on the business and she was so focused on the kids. That's what real estate did. That's how we set up our business. And that was the impact. Good. Um, you know, to, to, to where we are today, like you, like you asked Sandy, like, fuck, dude, life is so good, man. Like we live in Cologne. We moved here five years ago. We're trying to move to the water right now uh on, onto the lake and you know we have two great kids they're 15 and 13 years old they're amazing at hockey they're just amazing kids they understand my business uh our business you know like they're the way they interact the way they communicate the you know here's a, I, can, I can rant forever guys our kids see a psychologist okay and uh we have a family uh shrink we call her her name's patty and we go see patty and and we started with our kids with Patty a number of years ago. And the reason why we started taking the kids to Patty, you know, Chris and I go see uh, uh, Patty every month or every couple months. But the reason why we t- started taking the kids is because it's really important to teach the kids to ask for help when they need it versus thinking that they have to do it their own on their own. So this is something that I learned back in hockey, my hockey days. When I was playing hockey, I always had a coach, you know, not just a head coach, not just an assistant coach but i also had personal trainers i had nutritionists i had psychologists i had um skating coaches i had skills coaches like i had all the coaches right so i'm sitting there i'm just like so now when i want to grow my business right now i have a coach out of la you know his name is john wineland um i've had coaches for years so i'm super coachable whereas most people are not super coachable because they're not they've never been taught how to be coachable so we're teaching our kids at a very young age how to be coachable. So hopefully, when they get older, they can reach out when they need it, whether it's in relationship, whether it's in work, whether it's in business, personal uh, development, uh, career, whatever it is. We want them to be able to reach out and ask for help. That's where we are today.
1: Cool. What about then? Then, then the real estate side of things. Obviously, have you have you um, kept going at the same pace as you were early on, or has that changed up year to year? And uh, how's that transitioned? Yeah.
2: Well, I think it's pretty impossible to hold at 64 a year. <laughs> Excuse me. I think that's next to impossible. Um, last year we did. So in 2011, in 2010, when we come out of the recession, the global recession, we have to change the structure of our business. Um, because we were like, seriously guys, like I was losing 18, 19, $20,000 a month from 2008 to 2010. I just, I don't, I share this story all the time. I had a, I had a lot of cash in the safe. I had, we we're flush in the bank. We we're paying our JV JV partners just bank every single quarter. You know, we we're cutting checks 20000 dollars of positive cash flow. I've raised twenty million dollars worth of JV money over the years, and all of it was done wrong. You know, like man, well, good. But I think we have a, a topic of JV horror stories, so we'll get into that. Um. You know, so, but in 2011, I started, I bought my first house to flip and not knowing what I was doing, I bought this house to flip and, it, you know, it worked out good. I, I bought it for $145,000, $152,000, sold it for $225,000. It was great. Made some money there. The second house I bought for 200000 sold it for $375,000, um, but I didn't like that one. I still made some money, but that one took about four months to sell and the reason why it took four months to sell is because people were coming in. They didn't like the, the direction of the backyard. They didn't like the countertop I picked. They didn't like the color of the paint. They didn't like the backsplash tile. They didn't like the apple tree in the backyard. Um, because what I was doing was I was selling a home. And people t- tie certain emotion, whatever emotion they have, into their place of like their home. So I quickly, after that one, I realized that I don't want to sell homes for people. I'm not, I don't do homes, I do rentals. Cause I know the rental business inside and out, So after the second one, we just started buying houses and making them legal suites. So to date, I've done about 150 of these. So, you know, so I keep every fourth, every fifth one kind of thing. Um, but then we sell all the rest. So I've done about 150 of them since 2011. Um, so I'm still buying, but I'm buying differently. I'm not, I'm not buying to hold, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at buying a, this cool new Jeep, this old Bronco. It's like 1970 Bronco and it's 85 grand or 90 grand. No, it's eight, yeah, 90 grand. And I put it on Facebook saying, Hey, do I buy this thing? It's super cool. And someone put a post saying, Hey, why don't you just buy a house with that money and use the cash flow from the house to pay for the Jeep? And I said, yeah, that's a great idea if it was 15 years ago. But I'm done with acquiring properties. Like I have forty million dollars worth of real estate. I have about six or seven houses, clear title. I have another fifteen houses that are under fifty thousand dollars of debt. Um, like I'm, I'm at the end of the game, where now it's time to play and have some fun. And you know, so I'm, I'm done building the asset base because I already have so much. Like we do two hundred seventy-eight thousand dollars a month in rents. And I'm so now I'm just trying to buy down my debt as fast as possible. So we buy the houses, we renovate them, and then every time I sell it, I take that cash from the sale and I start I'm starting to pay down my debts. So that's how I'm buying down my debts so fast.
0: Um I mean, I guess he could have just answered that's what I'm doing.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, <laughs> that's what I've already done. But yeah. uh, did you end up buying the truck or not?
2: No, I am. So I just had, like, this just happened, like, the other day. You got to see this Jeep. It's so deadly. I'll post it to my my Facebook page if anyone wants to see it. It's actually on my Instagram already. But it's so, it's, it's just an old-school Bronco, rag top, old bench seats in the back. Like, just, you know, little four or five speed. It's just amazing. So, no, I haven't bought it yet, but I'm going to.
0: Very good. Okay. Let's get into some horror stories here. Yeah, now, yeah, we uh, we're we're gonna start out. We're gonna hit them. We're gonna hit them hard right off the bat. So, what do you think is the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate?
2: The biggest mistake I've made. Oh, I made lots. Um, I know I just sent you an email with all this, but now I got more stuff coming to me. Uh, number one mistake is thinking I I probably thinking like I did I could do it all by myself. That was a big mistake. Um, another big mistake I, I would have done is, uh, fudging my numbers. So, you know, like I would go buy a property and I was taught to, you know, here's the percentages that you use. Here's the rent and mor- minus mortgage taxes, insurance, management fees, blah, blah, blah. And then I would take, I would say, okay, well, this property is eight years old and it's in great shape and everything's done. So I'm going to take the repairs and maintenance and take it from 8% and I'm going to make it 2%. Property management, oh I'm gonna impeccably property management. So I'm not gonna put the 10% in, I'm gonna put zero. So I would take, I would be able to do, I was so good, I'd take a negative cash flowing property and turn it into a positive cash flowing property like that within the stroke of a pen. And next thing you know, I'd buy the property. Um, so that was another mistake. Uh, and <laughs> man, I got lots. That's
0: probably uh, one of the bigger ones I would <laughs> say. And a lot of people are guilty of that. I mean, totally. I, I'll sometimes even do it now, like on the initial spreadsheet and then kind of look back and go on it and go, you know what? No, no, we should probably change some of these numbers. Yeah. Um,
2: so. I, was at a, I was at a workshop um, for this organization a couple of years ago and they were telling people out of Vancouver, they were telling people to... It's okay to buy properties at a negative fifty or a negative hundred or a negative one hundred and fifty dollars a month cash flow. It was okay because you're going to get appreciation and you're going to get mortgage paydown. That that was their story, and I'm sitting in this room. I'm like, no. So I went on this big rant on social media two years ago, saying, do not ever buy a negative cash flowing property. It will destroy you. It's not a it's not a question of if. It's a question of when and you know and that was a lesson that i taught myself because i was buying negative cash flowing properties and then you know like i was i always believe i was taught something different but i always believe that you always buy for cash flow first and you want to talk about big mistakes this is one of them i wasn't buying for cash flow you always buy for cash flow and then the second thing you, you buy for is mortgage pay down because those two things, you can, almost, you, can, you can kind of guarantee those. You can work those around and, and, and always have that. The third thing you, you buy for is uh, appreciation. That's the unknown. You know, like, you know, no one predicted 2008, 9, 10, or very few people did. No one predicted a pandemic. You know, what's the outcome of the pand- pandemic? We still don't know, you guys. You know, once the CERB comes off, everyone's so many, there's something like 800,000 or a million people have deferred their mortgages. Once that comes off, like everyone's, like these banks are predicting that foreclosures are going to go up once these deferrals come back. These deferrals are going to come back. So, all of these people who've deferred their mortgages, um, once again, this is all a big lesson, some of the big lessons that I've learned. But all these people who've deferred their mortgages, I am one of them. I've, I've deferred about 50 mortgages. I have a different plan for deferring them than others. but So all these people defer their mortgages. Six months later, their mortgage payments start back up. Well, what happens? Well, their payments are now $100 or $200 higher. Their their payment's not the same. So they're in a negative cash-flowing position. Six months later, mortgages come back on, and now they're in a worse negative cash-flowing position. In Ontario, you can only raise rents, what? 2%? 2 point something percent? so if rents drop five hundred dollars because vacancy rate that's what's going to happen that that i don't i don't say that's what's going to happen but that's a possibility of what could happen a strong possibility so if rents drop five hundred dollars deferral rates go up or your payment goes up two hundred dollars it's going to take you 20 years to recover at two percent increases and that's not including property taxes that are going to go up so if you're if you're not buying for cash flow you're I think you're playing with fire and that's what I was doing
0: yeah those are all really good points here and I think that um I mean I don't think people are actually going to understand the impact of how those things affected you really like because you've managed to get through them you so what tactics let's talk about that what tactics did you use to overcome these things
2: oh dude um in 2010, that coming out of the 2008 nine recession, um, we restructured like literally. Rest- you know, like out of all the years I've been doing real estate, I've only sold out of my buy and holds. Like I've always turned properties over. Um, like I've always i, I bought properties, renovated them, sold them. Like I've done, I've been doing that since 2010, 2011. But I've always had my my like my my hold code, my holding my holding properties. I've always had them. And out of those properties, I have maybe have sold three over over the last however many years. Like uh, when I buy a property, it's like, okay, it's going in this box, which is my hold. that's going in this box, which is my, my turnover. Um, in 2008, coming out of it, I had to, you know, we had to like restructure stuff. So in 2010, we started um, flipping, you know, because we have to drive revenue. We started up our property manager, our first uh, creation, our first run at our property management company, which back then was called Landlord Rescue. Which is now called Tilt Property Group. Um, you know, we had to get liquid because what I realized was my portfolio was not recession-proof. So one of the mistakes that I, man, another mistake that I did is every fi- every five years I was refinancing my portfolio. So to this day, I don't refinance my portfolio. I will never refinance my portfolio. I will never take equity out of my portfolio. Because it's a tale of the two portfolios. Are, these are the two portfolios. I have one portfolio called uh, Hope Properties. My last name's Hope, so Hope Properties. I have about 55 properties in that portfolio. I have, in 2003, I started buying. In 2008, I refinanced, I think, five or eight of them. But the rest, I've never touched. I have another portfolio. Uh, let's call it JP, because um, I have a partner. I had a partner in there. I just bought him out we refinanced and we had about 30 properties in there i refinance we've refinanced those ones every five years so in 2008 we refinanced it and in 2015 we refinanced it so what happened in 2008 recession comes all that cash flow that we bought or, or all that mortgages we bought down we brought it back up rents came down so we were we were losing money fast forward to 2015 in 2016 we had another recession here in alberta so the same thing happened so yes we were pulling out money i was taking that money paying down my whole property portfolio my partner was taking that money and who knows what i don't know what he was doing with it so we kept on running tight leveraged out so what people need to understand is in real estate is after five years you don't have enough mortgage pay down to experience an increase in cash flow it just doesn't happen because banks shorten your amortization rate along with the payment. So your payment actually stays relatively consistent after five years, after 10 years though, because your first five years, first 10 years, most of your payment goes to your interest. Yeah. (coughs) So after, (coughs) excuse me. So after 10 years, you have enough principal pay down that, you, when you refinance or sorry when you redo you renew your mortgage you have enough principal pay down yet you'll actually see a two or three hundred dollar drop in rent that is the that's the rounding point that's the fence that you have to climb so back to the whole property portfolio never refinanced it so after 10 years so that puts us to 2013 we were making bank in from after 2013 because in this 50 45 50 property portfolio it was like 50% paid off because we are just hammering debt, hammering debt, hammering debt. So then what we did is we, I renewed all my mortgages and my payments could have went from a thousand to $700, for example, but I kept my payments at a thousand. So now I was paying an additional $300 times 50 properties say it numbers were different all over the place, but let's use that for an a, a, a kind of a snapshot picture. So we reduced, the $300, but we kept the payments at $300 times 50. So all of a sudden forward fast five years later, which is 2018, I renew my mortgages again. Now I just built a bigger gap to the point where now my cash, we're just so flush with cash, flow from property, whole properties. This other portfolio has almost the same amount of debt in it that we did back in 2003 my payments the same my leverage is same everything's the same i have a jv partner in one of these and this is a long story i know but i have a jv partner in one of these portfolios as well so i have one jv partner left i called him up a, a little while ago he's like what the heck man we have like how do we sell these things we can't sell these things you know you're telling me that if we sell them we're we're going to be break even well no that's not true because i've refinanced them 3 times i re- like re- remortgaged them I've pulled the equity out three times. I'm like, dude, I've paid you three, $400,000 because he gets half. I'm like, dude, I've paid you three or $400,000 over the last 15 years, but they don't remember that. All they see is here's what we what it's worth. Here's what we owe when we sell. I lost money, you know? So there's so many rules with how to run a JV and how to structure the JV uh, that prevents problems 15 years ago. And one of them is don't refinance your properties.
0: I think that's sort of multi-tiered in that um when you're in growth phase obviously that that can be very powerful, right? So totally. even even for what you were saying is you took the um the 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 payouts from remortgaging and used it on your other portfolio where maybe maybe someone might someone else might not do that but you did the smart thing. So in a way that was a very powerful tool for you. Totally. You know? Yeah, being able to take I, that money from one side and and put it to use on the other side.
2: I, got, I, you know, I would I would do it a little bit different. If I was handing out checks again, I would go back to my JV partner and say, "Listen, <clears throat> Mister JV partner, listen, Robin, Sandy, listen, man, guys, I would love to cut you a a, a quarterly check every year. That's super cool. It feels so good. But what we're going to do is this instead. We're going to wait to the end of the year, and at the end of the year." you know, I'm, we're going to have $20,000 or we're going to have $50,000 in this bank account. Uh, and we're going to cut out, we're going to take 50% of it and we're going to pay 50% of that out. The other 50% is going to stay in the bank and we're just going to leave it there. And we're not going to touch it. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to leave that there. That's, you know, because that's protecting the portfolio. That's going to prevent cash calls. It's going to keep, you know, it's going to keep them sane because they're going to get some some return on their money. Um, but more importantly, it protects the portfolio. The other thing I would probably do, like I'm all for leverage. Like I don't want people to hear this and say, oh, I can't, I don't want to refinance to build. Yeah, it's okay to refinance and build your portfolio. Um, but I think there's a, a tipping point, you know, like I was doing it all the time, <clears throat> which leveraged the shit out of us. Leveraging to grow is fine, leveraging and buying the right properties is fine but at some point in time there has to come a tipping point where it's like okay I've done enough now I have to change the way I'm buying or the change the way I'm building my portfolio to protect the assets because you know if lose in 2008 guys I saw 2008 910 I saw so many people who had 20 30 40 50 properties go bankrupt and you know I look at the the rooms I used to hang out in and the rooms I'd hang out in you know come 2010 11 all the big players not all of them but a lot of them were gone all, a lot of the people i thought were big players were gone and in 2016 17 same thing in alberta and i guarantee you in two years there will be people who have 30 40 50 properties that will not be in the scene anymore because they play the game wrong they're too leveraged so i just don't believe in leverage anymore too much leverage let me say that again i, I love leverage because i think that's how you have to play the game but there comes a time where it's like, "Mm, I got, I got to change the way I'm playing.
0: Yeah. And I guess it'd be like taking each one into sort of its own consideration because, you know, I was at a, a, here's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Last summer, we, we did a, you know, a burr, we added a basement suite. And then when we refinanced, we were able to get a bunch of money back out of the property, right. On top. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I said to my partner, why don't we just, you know, go for, you know, we'll just go for even, right? Get our money back and leave the rest. And he's like, heck mm-hmm. no, why would we do that? Look, we get extra money for buying the house. We're not going to do that. So, so you know, I, I think if I had to push a little bit harder, we probably could have done that. And I think that would be the safe way to go on something like that, right?
2: You know, that's a great point, Rob, because I have coaching clients and one of my coaching clients, they're doing the perk. And I, and I love the burp. I love the burp method. The problem, a problem with the burrs because you don't really know what the future value is. You're assuming it, but you don't really know you're at the mercy of the market. And, um, and I'll get into that in a second, but I have this coaching client. I told she's in her fifties, mid fifties. And so her level of risk should be lower than our level of risk. And because, her runway is shorter to earn it back with if she loses anything and her level of comfort's different her uh her risk factors are different her her desired outcomes are different she's you know typically at 55 60 you're slowing down in age so you want more cash flow more cash to play with and so what i told her is i said listen instead of refinancing and pulling 80% out refinance it and pull like 65% out and leave 40 35 40% of equity in the house, because now your cash flow is gonna be a lot higher. And now instead of having to refinance or refinance and keeping really thin on your cash flow, now just go do three or four of these, keep your get your cash flow to that four or $5,000 a month, and then retire. And then you're good, because now you're not at the risk of the market, you're protected, your income's not gonna change if the market shifts, your lifestyle's not gonna change if anything happens. And now you guys, you're pandemic proof versus recession proof. Now there's a whole new, there's no such thing, you know, that I used to, I used to try to be recession proof and going into the pandemic, I'm like, holy shit. I like, I was shitting my pants. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go tits up right now. But now my portfolio is pandemic proof. And that's that was the advice I gave to this client. So that'd be the exact advice I gave to you. I don't, I don't know if I would do every one like that, but why not do every second one like that? Where you're building this big brother, you're building this bodyguard that's going to protect your portfolio, which protects your life. It's not about protecting your portfolio. It's about protecting your lifestyle and your life. That's what real estate does.
0: And I guess there's not really any cut and dry. We can't just say here's no. the answer to that question. And here's the answer. It's, it's more of like you were talking about being coachable. And so, you know, in that person's, specific case that you were just talking about your coaching client um that might have been the best thing for her to do Mm -hmm. where it might be different for somebody else it's it all just depends on on where they're at and if they're able to uh good advice run with it
2: so this is why i think people need coaches versus going to going to rooms so you go to a room and everyone's in that room to learn and listen and 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 build a business so they'll sit there and hear you know, like there's no clear-cut way how to do it. I have my way of doing it. And, you know, so the mistake I made back in the day when I was presenting, I was very condescending. Like I would, it's like I was telling people this was the only way to do it. When what I've realized is my way is just my way. Your way is your way. Sandy's way is Sandy's way. John's way is John's way and so on and so on. And, the, but the mistake people make when they go to a room and they listen to 10 speakers in a day, for example, or in a, or in a weekend, is they try to follow each and every one of them and they sit there and they get, t- Oh my God, that's how you do it. Oh my God, that's how you do it. No, that's how you do it. So they get, they kind of are chasing a squirrel. Whereas if you had a coach mentor, like I did back in 2005, like my clients are using me for is our job is to say, listen, okay, I get all that. Here's the path you need to stay on. You know, like go learn this, go learn this, but here's plan A, plan B, plan C. Here's, here's your main tool. Maybe your main tool is a, a burr. Maybe your main tool is a buy and hold. Maybe your main tool is JVs. Maybe your main tool is, you know, renovate and flip. Who knows? But you need the guidance because if an untrained mind makes up their own result. It, may, it creates their own path. So that's one of the benefits of following somebody who knows what they're doing
0: yeah exactly and that sort of falls into the thing that sandy and i get asked this question all the time it's like how do you structure a jv deal tell us how how is this done there's only one way yeah Yeah. (laughs) and uh yeah so let's actually let's use that to transition into the uh, jv horror stories then so i know that i know that you had something you wanted to touch on as far as that goes
2: Oh man! Once again, I got lots. You know, like a couple. Uh, one big horror story is like I, I refinance properties on a regular basis and for my JVs because I felt obligated to, um, you know, make them money, and I, I felt obligated for them not to lose. And so by refinancing the properties and getting their money back, you know, I thought that was the right way to do it. Um, what I've realized over the years is it's a balancing act of you know, here's some money back that covers, because most JVs, let's face it, most JVs are not using cash to invest. They're using a line of credits. And so there is, there is, I do feel that onus is on me a little bit to have the portfolio cover some of those payments, if not all those payments. So now the way I restructured that is, you know, I'll take 50%, like I shared earlier, I'll take 50% in the bank. The other 50% gets split 50, 50. And then that 50% of that 50% that remains in the bank, we will target one property and we'll just start buying down the debt for that one property. Um, another change that I've made is I don't do five-year deals anymore. I was taught a long time ago uh, to do five-year joint venture deals. So when we signed a contract it was a five-year deal, um, now I do eight, or sorry, I do uh, 12, 10 to 12-year deals, not five-year deals. And then at the eight-year mark, I re-analyze uh, the portfolio to see if there's any properties that can move out um uh, because it's called calling the herd so we own a buffalo ranch um up in northern alberta with my in-laws we have a a bunch of bison and you know i I started watching my father-in-law back in 2010 we're sitting around the dinner and he's like "Hey, you know we got to call the herd i'm like well what what does that mean you know so he's getting rid of the old cows and because the old cows uh, will produce at say seventy percent, so seventy percent of the time they'll have a calf. Whereas the younger cows will produce at a hundred percent or ninety five percent. So he's getting rid of the old cows and bringing in the new cows to increase his herd. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, that makes total sense. So at the eight year mark, I'll sit there with my JV and we'll call the herd if we can. So we'll sit there and say, okay, you know what? This one's not producing like it used to, or this one's at, you know, this still has wow factor, but in about five years, we have to replace furnaces, windows, roofs, some big expenses. We're gonna call that out right now. We're gonna take that mortgage, we're gonna port it to a new house because you can port mortgages easier than you can re-qualify for mortgages or to qualify for a new mortgage. So we're gonna port that mortgage over here to this new house that's gonna have higher cash flow, less long-term expenses. So instead of doing a five-year term, What I've realized with five-year terms is I'm at the effect and I'm at the mercy of their life. So if things change in five years and they come back and say, I I need to sell, I need out, I need my money back in five years. And if I'm not ready to sell, I'm screwed. So if I do a 10, 12-year, I change the the thought process and the energy around that contract so that they know it's a 10-year, 12-year contract. So they actually don't expect to get out for 10 to 12 years. So, but and so what that does is it puts me more in control out of managing and stewarding the success of the portfolio, which guarantees almost the, a good outcome for my JV partner. Because if I can get if I can keep them in for twelve years, never refinance, I've got mortgage pay down over the next twelve years at an average of eight thousand, nine thousand dollars a year. So guaranteed, I got their money back in the worst case scenario. After five years, you don't have that guaranteed. So the biggest the biggest takeaway that I've learned over the years is that, um, uh, is a, a 10, 12 year JV window. Um, and, and then, man, dude, I, I've, I've taken on JVs just for the sake of taking on JVs and, and I've taken on the wrong JVs. I've taken on JVs that, uh, thought they knew more than me. Um, you know, like it's, like, it's been tough dealing with JV partners to the point where, I'm very strict on the JV that I take on now. They have to have X amount of capital. They have to have, you know, little to no involvement in the portfolio. They have to know how to read a financial statement because lots of people don't know how to read financial statements. And, uh, and at the end of the day, they have to have the same core values as me um, and my family. So those are some big takeaways for joint venture structuring.
1: Yeah, those are helpful. Those are awesome. Really like those. Those are a, bit, a couple different ones there than we typically hear. So that's really uh, cool to hear. Thanks for that.
2: Yeah, um, Nick, I'm not. You know, once again, it's just my way. You know, it's just my mm-hmm. way of doing things over the years that I've been burnt by, and I've been. You know, it's I've, I've taken some hard lessons from JVs over the years.
0: Well, I think the tough thing is that you know people that haven't done any JV deals, especially that are listening to this, are going to say, "Well, you know, I I, I just." I would just be happy if someone was going to give me money. And, you know, that's, again, like even the wrong way to start looking at looking for joint venture partners in the first place is more you're providing an opportunity to them. If they want to take it, then you can structure it with all those things in place that you've said, you know, and, and it's not going to be any less desirable than it would be if you said, you know, you're going to have more control over it or whatever. You're going to find the right person as long as the deal's good. Yeah. So I think that that's really what people got to focus on, especially if they're just starting out is, is the deal that I have good enough that regardless of if I set this up so that it's going to be less of a headache down the road and set me up for learning how to structure these going forward, then, you know, you're, you're not going to have any trouble finding it. And it's not asking for money. It's offering opportunity, right?
2: Yeah. You know, I would even go one step further. I get it. I totally get what you're saying. I would actually, I think I'd maybe disagree with you a little bit on that. I think people, I, I don't, I don't think it's about the deal to be honest with you. Like, I think the deal is the, is like the bodyguard is the protector that has to be there and like that, but that speaks to the integrity of me or you or the JV partner, the the actual, you know, the real estate expert, bringing the deal that, that speaks to their integrity, you know, like there's groups out there that are, you know, they'll sit there and say, Fear stops most people from doing anything. You know, fear. You have to go conquer the fear of the potential money person. You got to go solve all of their fear. That's all bullshit, to be totally honest with you. Because people do business with people they trust, plain and simple. And I could, I could have the most knowledge in the world, but yet, Rob, you're the most friendliest guy. You're, you're so trustworthy, and your knowledge base is smaller. But you're super trustable. To, to that potential person. They'll do business with you versus doing business with me. People do business with people they trust the most. And that's emotion. So people do, as much as they try to make a business decision, keep keep it all simple, here, here's all the facts, emotion comes in. And what I teach my clients is you have to, I don't wanna say feed, but you have to build off of that emotion that they have. and. And enter through trust and you know uh, uh, accountability and loyalty and uh, relatability, because the product is going to sell itself. The product is going to tie all of these emotions that this person has about you, and they're going to the product's going to solidify it. It's going to it's going to close the deal for you. You know, like I see people all the time. I, I have clients all the time that come in and say, "I, I need, I you know, I want to start branding. I want to start marketing. I want to start putting stuff on Facebook. I want to start doing." I'm like, "Why?" What's the point? I, I need JV clients. No, that's not how you're going to get a JV client. Putting a deal up and saying, hey, I, I, need, a, I need an investor. That doesn't work because you have no credibility. Let's go work at building credibility with your inner circle that they trust you and they truly believe that if they give you $100,000 that you're going to act in the best interest of them with it. That is what people need to work on. And that starts with understanding what your why is, what your purpose is, what your calling is, understanding what your client's purpose is and what their why is and what they want out of it. It's not, here's the property and here's how we're gonna solve everything, what people teach. It's about understanding how you show up is either repelling or attracting a JV partner. Work on how you show up because that is what brings in the people to do business with you, whether it's shoes, Whether it's cars, whether it's houses, money, whatever it is, it's how you show up. You want to go, you wanna go you wanna go meet a girl or or meet a spouse. Well, look how you show up. Look where you're showing up. Look look how you're interacting and how you communicate. Are you trustworthy? That is what brings in a partner. Not the deal. I think.
0: Yeah, I think very well said.
2: I was no, you disagree. No. Let's get some yeah, up. <laughs> you know like I get I it, you know.
0: Agree. It's just it's such a complicated thing and I was oh. more I was more sort of um alluding to the uh the fact that like having the deal will build confidence in the person, right? And then they're not necessarily feeling like they're asking for money to just go out and find something. You know, that was more more the idea of just believing in yourself. And and I mean all of those other things that you were talking about definitely come into play. Like how a person's going to hit. I have no idea necessarily how each individual is going to handle someone else's money and whether they're going to do it with integrity or not. But Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's just an assumption that I'm taking on my part. uh, As far as a JV (laughs) uh, agreement goes, is that whoever's handling the money is going to do that in a uh, ethical fashion. But I guess that's not always the case either.
2: No, dude, like you, like you, it gets like there's so many douchebags out there man you know like there's so many people who are lacking integrity and finding that right jv partner to to align with you is tough you know and it's it's just a in saying all of that though if i were building my portfolio again i would 100 percent do it with all jvs you know like jv partners structured my, my way like the way i do it if i were doing it again all my jvs would have success you know like over the years i've had 10 JV partners and I can only think of one JV partner that has had success in real estate and would walk away saying, yeah, that was a, that was a win. That was good. All the other JVs, I still have one, but all the other JVs, I bet you all of them would never get back into real estate because it, the five year plan set them up wrong. That's cash flowing. I was paying cash flow wrong. I was like, it was all structured wrong. You know, one guy was paying interest payments for the other guy. wasn't like, it was just, there's just no structure to it. Whereas now if I were to do build my portfolio again, I would hundred percent do it with their money versus using my money. Um, but I would almost, like I say, I'd stretch it out and would, I'd make it, I'd force success onto these JV partners just by extending the timelines.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, we're getting a little long here, but I want to talk about your coaching course. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that. You've just opened uh you've just launched a new coaching course, right?
2: Yeah, we've been doing it for about three years, um, but we've been running it through Tilt, whereas now we're actually branding the new website, uh, which will be launched in a couple of months. Um, we've put about 55, 60 clients through it. So it's Krista and I. So Krista, you know, everyone looks at me like I'm, I'm the face of the company. I'm the face of the, the brand. I'm the face of the real estate. But the truth is, Chris and I have done it together. We, she started us on the journey. And, you know, the easiest way I can summarize it is I help people become millionaires. Krista helps them maintain you know, their their money and their asset and their wealth. And so Krista is one of the best personal coaches I've ever met in my life. And the mistake people make is, you know, they don't focus on both. It's They'll focus on one or the other. And whereas what we do is it's kind of like a 60-40 split. It'll, it's going to be, um, you know, sometimes 60% real estate, sometimes 60% growth and personal development. It's all couple work. Um, If you're single, you can still do it too. But, you know, it's husband and wife because we believe that in order to have the success in real estate, both people have to be doing it. Both people don't have to be buying the property, but both people should be along for the ride. And so that's how to communicate, how to structure it, how to set it up. So you both are involved and you're both uh, still, you know, speaking the same language and getting ultimately getting, you know, the, the love that you want out of life. So that's the coaching program
0: okay so where would they go to learn about that
2: uh right now you can go to tiltgroup.ca, um and then uh, there's going to be a tab that says investments uh coaching so you can click that tab um and then uh in a couple months our jared and Krista uh hope.com will be up and running Uh, we're just in the process of doing vids and pictures and stuff like that for the website
0: okay cool looking forward to that and anyone that missed that can go to the uh go to the show notes and the uh, link will be there.
1: Rob, before we sign off, let's get, let's get, there's a, I saw a list of really interesting property management stories. Let's get, can we get one kind of okay. crazy, interesting, there's stuff about knives, there's stuff about strippers. Can some, I tell you too? I have
2: this house in Grand Prairie. So in 2008, I take over the management of this property and I knew nothing. I was just this young, cocky kid. And I take over the management of this property And uh, I rent out to five strippers and and I'm just like, okay, they're in, they pay cash, they're hot. This is perfect. And uh, uh, so whatever. So I was up in GP uh, a few months later, checking on the house and I left them a notice on the door saying I was going to come back tomorrow. So I come back the next day to do an inspection. And as I knocked on the door and all these cars are in the parking lot or on their driveway. And it's a duplex. I knock knock on the door. I'm like, you know, no one answered. I knock on the door, open it up. I'm like, hello, you know, Jared Hope here. I left a notice. And I can hear some music playing, but I'm like, no one's home. That's what I thought, because no one answered the door. And it was a bi-level. So there's six stairs up, six stairs down. I walk inside. I walk up the stairs. And there are five naked girls on the couches. And there's coke. There's there's booze, there's toys, there's all this stuff. And I walk in there. I'm like, yeah, I'll just come back tomorrow. Like, it was just the it was like, I walked out of there. I'm like, that was so cool. Um, (laughs) But I'm like, yeah, I can't rent. those. I can't rent like I got to do a better job screening properties like they are screening tenants. Um, So that's one I'm gonna share three. Uh, I have another one. Uh, I bought this house. Uh, it's my second house I ever bought. I knew nothing about landlording. And I, I rented. So we bought this house. that had blue windows and all this other stuff. So we were fixing it. So my wife and I were out there painting the windows and, you know, like, well, I was fixing the floor and changing the, the toilets. And we're doing some work to it, lipstick and rouge stuff. And this lady, and we had this big uh, post-it note in the window saying hey three bedroom main floor here's the rent like all everything was written down on this post-it note in the window this van pulls up and this lady gets out this blue van pulls up and this lady gets out uh wearing a red dress and a cross on her necklace and she was toting along three little kids and her name was rosa and rosa comes up to me and she's like hey uh, you know i just want to rent your house we just came from church was a sunday we just came from church my kids were in sunday school uh, my, uh, my husband, Eric, um, Eric and Rosa, uh, you know, he just lost his job. And, but you know, we're, we're just starting, we're just restarting out. Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, he just came from church. Nice score God sent, God sent them my way, rented to them eight months later. Uh, they were behind about three months on rent. Um, finally this one night I went there at eight o'clock at night and i was so mad because i was getting the runaround like getting the runaround from eric and rosa knocked on their door Oh, he opened up the door i reached in i grabbed him by his ear and i pulled him out like i pulled him out of the house and i told him that you know i said dude if i'm gonna come back in two hours and if you're not gone i don't know what i'm gonna do but i'm probably gonna kick the shit out of you came back two hours later everything was gone out of the house thank god Um, because I don't, I really don't know what I would have done. It was terrible. Third story. I have this, uh, I had this client, this tenant. Is uh, that how
0: you handle things still? Is that (laughs) your
2: property? (laughs) property No, No, No. man. No, dude, it was, you know what? I just didn't know anything. You know, I didn't understand the tenant act. I didn't understand rules and regulations. I didn't know how to interact with people. To me, they were stealing from me. Right. And I was so emotion. It was just pure emotion versus, you know uh the, the tenant act in alberta is very good like i can kick someone out in 14 days like it's, there's no n5s and r4s or whatever you guys have in ontario we don't have that stuff in in alberta it's literally the wild west i can get someone out in 14 days and um anyways i have this house up in gp this guy's having a great tenant this guy was an amazing tenant oh, i have another one i can share with you too um uh, this guy was an amazing tenant and he had a party and at this party some guy uh, at this party pulls out a knife and whatever, it's like two in the morning, right? One in the morning, pulls out a knife. Anyways, they kick him out. So they kick this guy out, whatever. They continue the party and at about 5.30 in the morning, this guy rolls back, everyone's passed out. This guy rolls back to the house, knocks on the door. And as he comes to the door, as, as my tenant comes to the door, uh, there's a big window in the door. It's all frosted. But as you, so you can see the shadow coming up, my tenant goes to grab the door and a bullet goes through and shoots him in the stomach. Guy kicks open the door, pop, 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 start shoot. starts shooting. Didn't hurt, didn't kill anybody, but got my tenant. Guy takes off. So this guy that they kicked out was high and all this other stuff, came back with a gun and started popping people, right? So that's a horror story. Here's the best horror story. Okay, I
0: don't
1: so, know if you could top that. one. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: That's pretty no, intense. Here, yeah, that's intense. No,
2: th- this one's a good one. So you in two thousand in two thousand and eight, uh, I have a tenant that didn't pay rent, got behind, gave him a notice, and nine times out of ten they leave. You know, nine times out of ten, here's your notice. They just leave because they in Alberta we can just take the property right, and uh, or mostly take it. And so I gave the notice. I come back. She's not gone after 14 days. So I changed the locks. And so she comes back. So I waited till she was gone to work. I changed the locks. And once again, I don't really know the tenant act at this point in time because I've never had to really go the distance with the tenant. And so she changed I changed the lock, she comes back, she calls the police. Police come. And the police don't really have a jurisdiction, any rights with the landlord tenant act. Like they can't, if there's not abuse or violence, they they don't know the laws for the tenant act. So the police come in, they're like, No, you, you gotta give her back the keys. I'm like, No, I don't. Like they're, they like like just you're there's no crime, there's no abuse, there's no weapons, like just get out of here. Like you don't know what you're talking about the, to this police officer, this RCMP. Anyways, to make a long story short, I give the keys back because a police officer said I had to. I didn't know that. And so I give the keys back, and the tenant says to the cop, cop tells me that I I I he's like, I guarantee you, she guarantees should be she'll be out tomorrow by five o'clock. So the next day comes, I didn't I gave her an extra day. So I go back the next day. So two days later, she's gone, which is awesome. But I open up the door to the to the side of the house so i it's a bi-level again i open up the door i go through four or five steps down two feet of water in my in my basement she plugged the drain she cut all my lines plugged the toilet uh, plugged the tubs ran the tubs everything was overflowing so i'm like oh my god like a panicking right i go upstairs my floor is collapsed into the basement. That's how much water, it just saturated everything. $178,000 worth of damage to my property.
1: Insurance claim? Insurance.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the best part about that is I had not real insurance. My insurance covered the uh, lost rent for eight months. Uh, I have a brand new product, you know, that was in 2008. So that now that's, you know, 12 years old. Uh, I got new. I got everything new. Everything was new. It's a brand new house. My value went up. I refinanced that property. Bought the property next door to it. So now I own both sides. Uh, It was great. You know, so that that was a terrible experience, but it worked out.
1: Some of the best stories is property if you have property management experience there's some amazing stories there we have yeah, some, my, my wife Kate runs our management company it's crazy some of the stuff you come home with is is some of the best stories in life I would say oh my but, god
2: I, I had a tenant the other day call me up so a, the,
1: the shower door broke off of one of my
2: places and this tenant deals with the staff I, I don't deal with it anymore but my staff called me up they're like yeah your tenant doesn't want to pay July rent and I'm like why like what's what's going on well the shower door broke off. So he feels that it's you know the, the he shouldn't have to pay a rent now. Rent's like thirty eight hundred dollars, and I'm like uh, no, because he broke it first of all, and secondly, tell him if he if that's the case, I will prorate a reduced a reduced rent. And so and she's so my staff are like okay, well, what's the prorated rent? I'm like take one cent off. So take off one penny off of his rent, and that's the prorated rent that he doesn't have to pay. It's such bullshit. this
1: <laughs> do the funniest things, man. It is pretty comical sometimes and ultimately, I mean, insurance covers you for a lot of things. So he, a lot yeah. of these stories are kind of scary for people, but then ultimately it, the end result to that one was pretty, actually pretty positive for you. Well, how do you well, overcome here, that the- stuff at the end of the day? Like yeah. the, all these, all those things, what's maybe to wrap up, I guess. And how do you, there are a lot of horror stories that you've shared, those ones at the end are pretty wild. How do, how do you kind of get past that mentally? Yeah, and great, be okay with great that? question, great question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it this way.
2: Um, all that stuff is just stuff. You know, like every day at work, stuff happens to people every day in life. Stuff happens to people. And if I would have quit in 2008, when that place flooded, if I would have quit in 2007, when that shot went through the window or through the door, if I would have quit in 2006, when I found 25 grow plants, uh, marijuana plants in, in, in my basement suite, I would not have the life I have today. And, you know, it's funny, like I talk to people all the time and they're like, I want to do this and I want this and I want this. They talk about this, these superficial things like, you know, uh, whether you call it a belief or a a purpose or what you're after, everyone ties it to material stuff. I want a Porsche. I want, I want money. I want, I want to make $10,000 a month. Well, the truth is, is that's not, there's not enough meat on that for you to sink into that will keep you going when times get tough. You know what I always wanted was to give my my kids a life that I never had. So if I want, if like that was meat, that wasn't money, that wasn't you know that wasn't fancy cars or toys and shit like that. I wanted to give my kids the life that I never had, and I had a great life, but I want them to experience different things than I did. And in order for me to do that, there was times that got tough, and I just it it was just stuff. And but what we did every time I learned something, when what I what I mean by learned is. Every time something happened to me, like the flood, the pot plants, the shootings, the the strippers, the the non-payment of rent, the shower door guy. Every time something happens, it's like, okay, how do I prevent that from happening again? What lessons do I learn to make the system better? Because if I see things two or three times, it's like, ah, that's a pattern. I got to fix that because I don't want that to keep on showing up. I think people get into real estate for the wrong reasons. I think they get in thinking that's going to be an easy ride and they don't understand how t- how the, the, the times are tough. And then they buy into the story of, I have a friend of a friend of a friend who said this.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh
2: yeah. Well, that's not, that's not true. Like there's a version of that. That's true. But let's talk about the friend of the friend of friend that did it wrong because there's all kinds of stories. Like I don't have people trashing my house anymore. I don't have, You know, come April 1st, we had 526 tenants Uh, on April 1st pandemic, guys. We had 520 tenants pay rent, 520 tenants pay rent. By April 20th, we had 526 tenants pay rent. On May 1st, we had 535 tenants, 535 tenants paid rent May 1st. So, you know, for every bad story, there's a thousand good ones, but everyone focuses on the bad. So to answer your question, Sandy, I know it's a long winded, it's just stuff. And don't get attached to stuff and situations that happen, because if your goal or if your purpose is big, bigger than money and fancy cars and this lifestyle, you'll always smash through it to have success on the other side. Love that. Totally agree.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Um, uh, what's next for you? Let's wrap it up with that.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Geez, personally, we're moving to the lake. Uh, we're trying to sell our house, so if anyone wants to buy a house in Kelowna, come on by. It's a great one point seven million dollars house. I'll give you a deal. I'll take commission off. Um, totally kidding. I won't. Um, no, you know what? All I'll honestly, uh, my kids are fifteen and thirteen years old, and what I've realized—I realize it now—that my kids are grown up. And I missed, you know, I started buying real estate in 2003. And in 2005, we had our first kid. I bought 65 properties, 64 properties in 2005. And I'm, you know, and I kept on going. I bought 32 the next year, about 20-something the next year. I just kept on going. And I'm at, you know, it's a funny story. My kid, uh, my my kid the other day was searching up uh, Dolly Parton. I'm working nine to five. So he's looking up this song, but he was searching up. I'm working five to nine. And I'm like, great. like, why five to nine? You know, he's 12, he's 13 years old. I'm like, why five to nine? He's like, well, that's, that's, you know, that's the work week, five to nine. And I'm like, like, what? What do you mean five to nine? Like Five at night to nine at night. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because I typically will, like, my kid will come home from school or hockey or whatever because they will go to the academy and they'll see me working on the phone or on the computer for these hours. But during the day, I don't work. I'm hanging out with my wife. We're going to the boat. We're watching the kids at hockey. Like, I'm, I'm at all their events. Like, life's pretty good you know so what's next is to continue nurturing the relationship with my kids and because they're at this they're at this age now at 15 and 13 where they're going to start dating and they're going to start experiencing things differently and they're going to start like setting their future path and i want to be a part of it and you know the real estate's still going we're still growing we're still building we're still doing the coaching thing which is so much fun um but that's what's next for us is to really honor our relationship and what we've done in our lives my wife and i and really, uh, instill some of these core values into our kids.
0: Awesome. Awesome stuff, man. I wish you all the best in that. Yeah. And if anyone is looking for a, it's actually 1.8 million. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just want to say, Carla says that she loves your stories. So got oh, yeah. a comment from Carla on Facebook, um, Right on. Okay. Well, Jared, man, thanks a lot for sharing all this stuff. I really enjoyed this. It's been super fun. So, thanks. Yeah. Again.
2: Was, yeah guys, funny. this was awesome. I love your show. Uh, like, you guys are rocking it. So, keep it up.
0: And if people want to reach you. The best way uh, is.
2: Yeah. So, Facebook. I love Facebook, uh, uh, which is Tilt proper Group. Um, our website is tiltgroup.ca. Uh, or you guys can email me directly, jared, j-a-r-e-d, at tiltgroup.ca
0: nice and easy. And again, those will be on our, uh, on our page. So anyone that missed that can just go over there and all the links will be there. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you?
1: I mean, Facebook's great too. I'm going to start saying Facebook cause that's really yeah. easy. Uh, 289 6846 works or info at mckayrealtynetwork.com.
0: You can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.
2: Thanks. thanks so